Welcome to Mornings with Mike. Public Safety Today. Grab a coffee and sign up to receive your call-in information. Be a part of the show. For more information at any time, please visit www.tapsd.org. Now, let's get started with your host, Mike Pazesny. All right, everybody, we're, we're talking about the models of addiction. We've discussed the behavioral learning model, the biopsychosocial, the cognitive, the disease model, uh, the gateway model, the genetic predisposition model, the lifestyle, the moral. Now we get to the parental influence. Of course, these are in alphabetical order. We get to the parental influence model. Uh, parental influence model uh, basically says that alcohol is being used by the parents, and the parents might say, do as I say, not as I do, but the person who ends up being the addict says, well, my parents did it, why can't I? And so there's this kind of hypocrisy that's involved within a lot of families uh, that gives rise to addiction issues. There's something called the peer cluster model. The peer cluster model links drug use to small groups of people like best friends, boyfriends, girlfriends, who share different values and attitudes and beliefs about different things. And as a result of a person's identification with those peers, that they then become uh, an addict or a user. The personality model. The personality model uh, believes that certain components of traits and attributes that make up a personality predispose some people to, to drug abuse. Um, maybe pre-alcoholic personalities are more independent, more gregarious, more thrill-seeking, more impulsive. So, you know, it's in their personality. They kind of inherited this, and this is their personality. So, yeah, they're probably going to be more of an alcohol user. Then there's the prescriptive model. The prescriptive model suggests that alcoholism begins in self-prescription and physician prescription of alcohol and other drugs as tranquilizing agents to relieve acute or chronic pain symptoms. So what the person will do is to use alcohol as a way to be able to kill some pain that they have. Although a lot of times this prescriptive model um, works more along the lines of physical rather than mental. There's a problem behavior model. The more problematic the behavior of the individual, the more likely the individual's uh, is to come in contact with peoples and places and things where drugs are available, and so they'll use them. There's the psychoanalytic model that that uh, believes that there's certain pathological personality traits that are established way back when, when you're a child, that will predispose you to alcoholism. There's the psychosocial model. Remember, we had the biopsychosocial a few minutes ago. The psychosocial model proposes that there's a a bunch of factors that involve your personality, the environment, and the behavior that are designated as problem behavior proneness for you as an individual. And those variables define your personal problems and the social environment that you're involved in, and the greater the level of drug use, the greater the level of deviance. Uh, there's an interesting one here called the sanctioned use model, um, you know, for example, uh, one of the things that, that is discussed here is about Ritalin and other prescribed drugs and what makes a person feel good, you know, how can that be considered bad, right? Uh, we used, you know, we, we now know that um, the Japanese used methamphetamines uh, in the kamikaze pilots that were attacking our ships during World War II. 
We know that we gave amphetamines to our airmen to keep them awake uh, as late as the Gulf War uh, as kind of an antidepressant uh, and to keep them going through combat. Uh, we know that physicians have prescribed amphetamines to be able to, to help people lose weight. Uh, we know that when Valium first came on the market, that that was overdosed uh, and overprescribed. Uh, so th there's, there's sanctioned uses that our society has said that we can do with drugs as a whole. And so alcohol, and fall, alcohol falls into that. There are sociocultural models. You know, the environment is the chief contributing factor. And when we take a look at ethnographic variables like race and age and socioeconomic status and all that kind of stuff, uh, consumption rates and drinking behavior are tied to those. So it's just natural that Johnny would have fallen in with all of those kinds of uh, self-destructive behaviors. And then last but not least is the stress coping model, that the drugs are a substitute for effective cognitive coping skills when the person's placed under stress. And so they stop in at the local bar, have a couple of drinks, they feel better, and then they, they work their way home. When we're talking about alcoholism or alcohol abuse, uh, there are certain terms that we have to know within the at least the counseling regimen, but it helps if the public safety professional out there, the street law enforcement out there, is able to understand the same terms so that when he's talking with somebody, especially during a crisis intervention period, that, um, that they're both talking the same language. For example, abuse. Abuse is, a, is defined as a chronic recurrent misuse of chemicals. Abuse is when um, a person has one or more of these following events that I'm going to give you during a 12-month period. Uh, a failure to fulfill major role obligations such as work or school. Physical impairment that creates a hazard such as operating machinery. Recurrent legal problems, you know, such as getting DUIs. Recurrent social problems as, as in getting into fights. That's when there's an abuse of a chemical uh, because it's causing uh, maladaptive patterns in what it is that this person is actually doing. Addiction. Physically, there's two aspects to addiction. Physically, chemical addiction is actually a cellular change that occurs with the increased use of most depressant drugs. The features of addiction when it comes to alcohol is the development of tolerance and the development of withdrawal symptoms when alcohol is no longer present or is being reduced within that person. So there is physical addiction which is taking place through the changing of the body tissues Within that, within that individual. Psychologically, it's the compulsion to use drugs even though that person knows that this alcohol drug that they're using has negative consequences. They just don't care. Their worldview has become distorted to support the continued use of alcohol regardless of what the negative consequences are going to be. They are addicted. Addictive behavior is used to indicate abuse, dependency, and so forth because it focuses on behavior rather than categories of things. Um, it, if we talk about addictive behavior, then we can include things like gambling, uh, sex addiction, uh, addiction uh, eating addictions, work addictions, you know, that kind of thing. Um, computer addiction, you know, internet addiction, which is which is a, a newer form of addiction now that has been um, uh, developed. Love addiction, a person that is, you know, carries on multiple relationships because they're just, they're addicted to the sensory input of all these different kinds of persons. So we have people who have addictive behaviors. 
So we were talking about alcohol. Well, what is alcoholism then? How is that defined? Alcoholism is defined as a highly complex condition which is characterized by a preoccupation with alcohol and a loss of control over its consumption so that intoxication results if drinking has begun. It is, it is what we do when we drink. We are drinking for purposes of uh, making ourselves feel whole and making ourselves feel right. We don't feel right when we don't have the alcohol. So it is a physical disability. You know, it's associated with a physical disability. It's associated with impaired emotional, occupational, or social adjustment as a result of its persistent use, but we won't put it away because putting it away makes us feel like somebody who we aren't. We identify with the feeling that we feel when we have alcohol intoxication. Chemically dependent, what does that mean? Any person who has a dependence on drugs such as the substance governs his or her life to the extent that it impairs the ability to function, either psychologically or physically, is chemically dependent. And alcoholism means chemical dependence. Now, there's chemical addiction versus other kinds of addiction, like gambling addiction or whatever. So specifically in this case, we're referring to chemical dependence. What is codependency? Codependency is a reciprocal kind of dependency in that it's based on the chemical dependence need for care to survive and the caretaker's need to control the addict's behavior. So the chemical dependence has a problem. They may not understand that they have a problem, but they have a caretaker. And the caretaker has a need to try to control the addict's behavior. A codependent could be any significant person in that chemical dependence life. It could be a spouse, it could be a child, uh, it could be a parent. Somebody is a part of the chemical dependency that that other person has. Codependency, therefore, is characterized by an extreme preoccupation with and dependence on a person or an object. And eventually, this codependency can become a pathological condition that affects the codependent and all other relationships that they have. So then we, you say, okay, well, dependent. What does dependent mean? Dependence is actually defined in the DSM. Dependence as defined in the DSM is a cluster of cognitive, behavioral, and physiological symptoms indicating that the person's continued use of that substance, despite significant substance-related problems, continues. There's a pattern of self-administration that repeats and results in physical tolerance, withdrawal, compulsive drug-taking behavior that, you know, that they won't stop. Psychological dependence occurs in users who have a strong urge to alter their state of consciousness, and they, they know and they understand and they appreciate and accept the fact that they do this through the use of a chemical. And in the case of alcohol, alcohol is that chemical then that will alter their state of consciousness, and they're fine with that. Um, this is what leads to the craving and the, percept, the perpetuation of this compulsive abuse and their dependence on that drug. So then you say, well, what's a drug? Well, a drug is a psychoactive substance that has a direct or significant impact on the processes of the mind. And the drug then impacts those processes with respect to the thinking and the feeling and the acting that that person does. So we use drugs as a part of our dependence, and we may make others around us codependent on 
us and we can be codependent on them. It's that reciprocal kind of relationship as we are chemically dependent. And, and through this process, we may actually create an enabler. All right. You understand how all of this stuff is integrated. It's, it's kind of curious how it all fits together pretty well and how most people can, while I'm reading these things, they say, oh, yeah, I know somebody just like that. An enabler is any person who knowingly practices behaviors that allow that person who is chemically dependent to continue the addiction and not be subjected to the full negative consequences of their behavior. Most of the time, who is it? It's a family member. It's a family member because Johnny is, uh, let's say in this particular case, is an alcoholic. And we don't want Johnny to lose his job. So, you know, even though Johnny's drunk as heck, we will get up at 4 o'clock in the morning and make sure that Johnny can make it to work. We'll drive Johnny to work if we have to, and we will then pick Johnny up. We will cost ourselves money and inconvenience and time and pain and mental anguish and do everything that we have to in order to enable Johnny to continue to be, to, to abuse himself through the use of alcohol in this particular case, but it could apply to any of the drugs. Um, and we will maintain that relationship. We will maintain the relationship in spite of the fact that he is chemically dependent because we don't want to blow the relationship with Johnny. We want to be good parents. You know, Johnny's got a problem, but Johnny will get over it. But in the meantime, we have to help Johnny, you know, and, and what he tries to do. And this is why a lot of people who are substance abusers, just like the young lady yesterday told us on the air, uh, will not change until they hit rock bottom. This is why many people who end up going to prison have burned all their bridges with their family members and with all of their friends because our judicial system these days is uh, set up, unless they want to label you as being a domestic terrorist or something, is set up to, to where it's very difficult to get people put in prison anymore uh, because of the costs of the prison environment and the states trying to come up with diversionary tactics to keep people from being diverted away from incarceration due to those costs. So now if you actually get sent to prison, you have burned so many bridges and made so many people miserable that you just, you know, you don't have squat for support either while you're in there or outside in a whole lot of cases. Uh, you don't have a lot of enablers. Misuse, use of a chemical with some adverse physical, psychological, social, or legal consequence, and alcohol is misused all the time. Relapse, is it is it acceptable to expect somebody to relapse? Obviously it is. Return to uncontrolled drinking in this case because we're talking about alcohol. Slipping, an episode of drinking following a period of abstinence, same kind of thing. I slipped, but I got back on the wagon again, But you know, but then I slipped. And we have to anticipate that there's going to be slips. We have to anticipate that there's going to be some relapse in any kind of drug addiction. Just anticipate that. We already talked about tolerance, the biological ability of the body to be able to transform the chemical, to, um, to be able to metabolize the chemical, to excrete the chemical somehow. Uh, you know, we know people who uh, have alcohol uh, issues will smell like alcohol. How do you get rid of alcohol? You urinate it, you defecate it, you sweat it out, you breathe it out. Somehow the alcohol has to be metabolized out of the out of the system. Um, and then last but not least is withdrawal. Physical, psychological symptoms, terrible uh, withdrawal pains sometimes that people will have uh, that vary depending on the length and the amount of use of alcohol to the person and the amount of tolerance that they've actually developed within themselves uh, to the to the uh, alcohol uh, drug. So those 
Those are all of the terrible definitions of commonly used terms. Those are all of the different models that are applied to alcohol usage and alcohol consumption uh, and addiction. And then we looked at all the ramifications of alcohol within our country. Well, we're going to take a, another break, and when we come back, we're going to look at the dynamics of addiction. Um, what are some of the things like denial? You know, that's one of the most commonly heard of things. We're going to start d defining some of these dynamics of addiction. And while I'm defining some of these, think to some of friends or some family members that you know of, and you might like, oh, my gosh, you know what, that, that just fits uh, Davey so well. Uh, maybe he has an issue that I wasn't aware of. Maybe I need to talk with him sometime. You know, go have a beer with him, you know, and talk with him about his alcohol addiction. So uh, we're going to go ahead and take a quick break. We'll be right back. Don't go anywhere. We hope you enjoyed today's training presentation with your host, Mike Pazesny. Please visit www.tapsd.org, America's best source for online public safety training. Thank you for being America's peacekeepers. Visit www.tapsd.org for more information on how to subscribe or enroll and learn how you can build a career today.